0: This is episode 229 of the Beyond the Food Show, and today we're going to talk diabetes and intuitive eating with two experts in this very specific field: Rebecca Schrenfield and Glennis Orton. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Going to Beyond the Food Show. I'm Stephanie Dodier, clinical nutritionist and emotional eating expert, creator of the Going to Beyond the Food Method, and founder of the Going to Beyond the Food Academy. Corporate executive turned health expert with my own journey with weight, body image, and food, it's now my mission to help smart, successful women like you live confidently right now and unconditionally. Ready, sister? Let's do this. Welcome back, sisters. Your host here, Stephanie Dodier, and today's topic has been on my list To do for months. When people reach out to work with us or with me individually, there's two big health topics that I get as an objection to learn intuitive eating. And what we're going to talk about today is number two diabetes. There's, There's a lot of myth and misconception about diabetes out in the world that prevents women particularly, to enter into the world of health at every size and intuitive eating. And I've been wanting to make a resource on this very specific topic to eliminate the fear around it. And today is the day. And I've brought on with me two experts on this topic, Rebecca Schritfield, which is the author of Body Kindness. She is a registered dietitian, and Glennis Oyton also a registered dietitian that both specialize in the care of diabetes under the lens of health at every size and teach a specific program to help women like you embrace intuitive eating with the diagnoses or the pre-diagnoses to diabetes. And we're going to get into the details of this during the interview. But first, I want to frame this podcast under the umbrella of a weight-neutral approach to health. Many of you were like, what the heck is she talking about, right? And and I think this is necessary for you to be even open to understand that we can manage diabetes without being on a no-carb diet. There's no such thing as a diabetes diet, right? And for us to be open to this, we need to understand what the heck is a weight-neutral approach to health. This approach to health is based on the idea that your health status or risk level cannot be determined solely by your weight. Weight Weight-neutral acknowledges that your weight is determined by a complex set of genetic, metabolic, physiological, cultural, social, and behavioral determinant many of these factors that contributes to your health and to your quote weight are either difficult or impossible to change so instead of focusing on a weight oriented outcome as our health intervention weight neutral program teaches you to take charge of the factor within your control. These factor includes and not restricted to your thoughts, your emotion, and your behavior. When you take charge of these elements that contributes to your health, you do improve your well-being regardless of your weight. Now, this approach, the weight neutral approach to health, is a response to the failure of dieting, right? We know it doesn't work. So, if we are diagnosed with a condition and the treatment is weight loss, then it's a 95% failure rate approach. How is that going to help you in the long run? Or even in the case of diabetes, What's out into the world, specifically over the last three years in Google world of approach to health, you know, a passion about Dr. Google, is the severe restriction of carbohydrate. That's a diet. So how sustainable would this be for the rest of your life? Because diabetes doesn't cure. There's no cure at this point of diabetes. So when you are diagnosed with diabetes, this is a lifelong journey from the moment of the diagnosis. But if you use dieting as the approach to treat the symptoms of diabetes, then you have a 95% failure rate. So if we then take this out of the picture and say, okay, we're not gonna diet, we're not gonna restrict, what else can we do to manage diabetes? And that's what health at every size and weight neutral approach consider is taking out that weight loss and food restriction, what else can we do? And there's been research in the health at every size approach, weight neutral approach to health, which have shown a significant decrease in body dissatisfaction, which we know is a main contributor to the consistency of health behavior. Meaning you have to be comfortable in your body to be able to maintain health-promoting behavior. Weight-neutral approach has also significantly decreased eating disorder or disordered eating and depression, while increasing enjoyable self-care behavior. And that is the solution to managing diabetes on the long term. When I coach women on the conversation in the medical office, Many women want to know what to say to their doctor. The first thing I say is first of all, understand your health, your choice. You're, there's no police of health that's going to come in the back of your house and say, you didn't follow your doctor's order, right? It's your body, you're in charge of it. You consult with your medical team as to what is the best choice but the person that makes the choice on the intervention is you sister not your doctor it's you so when you go into your doctor's office and the proposal from your doctor is dieting and weight loss you don't have to do it it's your choice what I coach women to say is this Thank you for the recommendation on dieting and weight loss, but I have a question for you, doctor. If a regular BMI woman or a thin woman would be diagnosed with the same condition as me, example, diabetes, what would you recommend her? And then listen to everything that your doctor would say and do exactly or choose to do exactly what he's recommending for a thin non high BMI person. That is the weight neutral approach to health. Why? Because dieting doesn't work, right? So that's what we're going to talk about today. On to the topic of weight neutral approach to health, by the way, if you're listening live, by the end of February, we do have a workshop, our monthly educational workshop series for March is about the weight neutral approach to health. I'm going to teach you in that free workshop, the four mistakes that most women are making when trying to get healthy. And guess what? Thinking that weight loss is the answer to all of our health problem is the number one mistake we make. So if you're interested in that topic and learning more, you can register for that workshop. It's totally free. You're going to get a recording at stephaniedode.com slash class or in the show note of today. Are you ready to deep dive with Rebecca, myself, and Glenis into the topic of diabetes and intuitive eating? Now, I want you to stay tuned till the end, because at the end of the interview, I am actually going to share resources, free resources for you to begin your journey into the world of weight neutral approach, particularly around diabetes. So let's deep dive with Rebecca and Glenis, both registered dietitian onto the topic of diabetes and intuitive eating. I'll see you after. Welcome to the show, ladies.
1: Thank you so Hi. much. Thank you so much for having us.
0: This is exciting for me because I've never done the 3 Way podcast before. These ladies do it all the time in their own podcast, but this is my first time. So if I trip over myself, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a first time for everyone. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Rebecca has been on my podcast before almost a year ago after the launch of your book, Body Kindness, which is also the name of you guys's podcast, right? Yeah, of
2: uh, my podcast. Rebecca's your podcast.
0: podcast. Oh, you have separate podcasts. See, I'm learning. Yes. Yes. What is your podcast, Glennis?
1: So my podcast is called Dietitians Unplugged. And I co-host that with uh, my friend, Aaron Flores, who's another dietitian. And we're both down in LA.
0: Well, look at that. He was on my podcast a few weeks ago
2: we <laughs> <laughs> you are in with the helping professionals who are health at every size informed so congratulations
0: <laughs> yeah i uh, i recorded an episode with him that says i need to lose weight mm. and then we help people think through the whole like but i need to lose weight situation and it was amazing so oh look at that the small world and she's from yep. some, she was originally from quebec as well like as we we're meeting each other's like Anyway, so let's get into the topic. The topic is diabetes. And I want this episode to be a resource for people entering the world of anti-diet health at every size intuitive eating and answer a lot of question around diabetes, because that's a reality for my audience. And for me, it started like I said to myself, I need to do this because of a client about a month ago in my program that was really worried about diabetes and Integrating intuitive eating and in or eating, I'm like, okay, enough is enough. We got to put this resource together because there's so much fear mongering out into the world, especially with keto, right? Having creating this sphere where like sugar is evil and we need to remove all of it. So that's the intent of the episode today. But we're gonna start as we always do in my podcast with the basic what is diabetes? Let's start from that place and and then we're going to move on to fear-mongering and myths. Is that good for you, girls? Sounds great. Yeah. So what the heck is diabetes?
2: Uh, Well, you know, we'll, you know, answer, I guess, in kind of a conversational way. I It is, so diabetes is a medical diagnosis. Um, It's considered um, a chronic disease. Um, And I think one of the key things to keep in mind, as this conversation goes forward. So there's a strong genetic component with diabetes, uh, meaning that uh, it's likely that if we have ancestors who have struggled with diabetes, that we are at a higher risk and we might one day get diabetes regardless of anything we do to try to prevent it. Um, It's also important to understand, and I guess for clarification, I'm talking about type two diabetes here, Is that it is, um, it's also something that we, we tend to think of science as definitive. Like we know everything there is to know about diabetes, but when you actually look, even at what the American Diabetes Association says is that you can't describe exactly. This is the cause and this is what we know, um, has happened in order for this person to develop diabetes. There is still an uncertainty, but that's not what we think culturally though. Like the second we get that diagnosis of diabetes or prediabetes, we get that belief that, oh, I did something to cause this and, and it's, it is scary and fear-based. And so I think, um, from the sense of understanding that it is, it's, it is a disease that there is a strong genetic component um, and that that it's not necessarily because of something you did or didn't do. It just happens in some people. Um, and Glennis, do you want to explain kind of like what happens with respect to the pancreas and insulin and stuff? (laughs) Right. So,
1: so in type two diabetes, um, I mean, in simple terms, your body starts to have difficulty using the sugar that it needs for energy. Um, we all run on glucose uh, for energy, and that's the body's preferred source of fuel. And in diabetes, um, you know our cells might start to become resistant to insulin, which is which is the hormone that carries the sugar into the into the cells. and um, you know essentially the the cells have a really hard time getting sugar into it to make to to produce energy that we need to live. And that's sort of the very simple, simple way to describe it. Um, and Rebecca, do you want to add anything to that?
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, if you think of like your body parts, like the parts of a car, right, things wear, wear out over time. And, you know, we're not all born with a pancreas that's going to function perfectly until one day we just don't wake up again. Right. And so, um, you know, we, you know, we might start to secrete less insulin than we did before. Um, and so we're, you know, like any other person, we're hungry, we eat, we eat carbohydrate rich foods as part of our healthy eating patterns and as part of our intuitive eating and our normal eating patterns. And, you know, Glennis and I, we have different genetics. We could eat the same exact food and our bodies could respond completely differently. Um, to that food. And suppose one of us had diabetes, we could eat the same exact food. And what would happen is because we had difficulty getting that, the byproduct of carbohydrate foods, sugar, into our cells, which we need to feel energized and to do the things we do every day. If you have the diabetes diagnosis and your body has difficulty pulling that sugar in for energy, that's where we get the side effects of diabetes um, that creates a diagnosis and that could be anything from excessive thirst, excessive excessive hunger, both weight gain and weight loss so it's really confusing.. Um, And, and, and the diagnostic is usually they'll, they'll, um, you'll, they'll run your labs and you'll have an elevated fasting blood sugar. And if you think about that, if we're not bringing the sugar from our food into our cells, um, it's staying in our blood (laughs) and we don't feel good because we want that sugar for energy, and our blood doesn't like that there's a sugar floating around that's not being used. So they'll run another test called hemoglobin A1C. And depending on that number, it's it's a sense of your blood sugar uh, use over time. That number, depending on where it falls on a spectrum, will actually decide if this is a clinical diagnosis of diabetes. Um, and almost anyone who's had any of those things measured or has ever had an elevated blood sugar, I bet your doctor asked, "Do you have a family history of diabetes?" And that should tell you something about the strong genetic link. It is not um, necessarily true that a higher weight or you know uh, preferring the sofa over uh, jogging is well, that's what caused it. It's just not necessarily true.
0: And I think that's an interesting point because when people get diagnosed with diabetes, they get automatically served the, you need to lose weight mm-hmm. as the solution or the management tool of preference for diabetes. So what you just said is weight gain is a symptom, not the cause.
2: Mm-hmm. It can be in some, in some it's weight loss. Um, one of the things I think medicine doesn't do very well is they don't acknowledge Hey, we wish we had better treatments. We wish we had better medicines. And, you know, medicines are good and treatments are good, but where is medicine saying, we wish we had better tools so we didn't have to say, change your eating, exercise more slash lose weight. And that, that's a key problem. It, it, weight loss is going to be recommended, um, even though we could look at it and say, hey, weight is something we don't control because it's something that they could ask an individual to do. Um, And, you know, it's not necessarily true. And one of the things that we focus on in our work and in our course is helping people understand that you don't need to center weight loss as an objective here, that there's many other things that you could do instead. Um, But as soon as this podcast is out in a year from now and probably five years plus from now, you will still hear medicine recommend weight loss as the very first
0: thing that you should do. Exactly. And I think, and we'll get to type one, type two in just a second, but I want to continue on this path because that's where when women come to my world and want to learn intuitive eating, they're like, but I can't do that. I have diabetes. Because I need to lose weight, so can I do intuitive eating and lose weight? and And I, th- I think it's very important for people to understand that weight loss is not the only way, And this is how you can integrate the work of intuitive eating. Am I going in the right direction here?
1: yeah, yeah. and and it's interesting because it's it, it is the number one thing that gets recommended. And you know, in my clinical work, I've seen people that, you know, came in uh, to our clinic and said, you know, I just lost 30 pounds. You know, I was diagnosed with diabetes. I just lost 30 pounds and their sugars are out of control. And I said, well, what did you do to lose weight? And he said, well, I juiced. And so, (laughs) you know, weight, weight loss in and of itself didn't really help. Um, what he was eating (laughs) made a big difference. And, Conversely, I've seen people who never lose any weight, but if they sort of do do a little bit of work around, you know, looking at their meal patterns and maybe incorporating exercise or, you know, getting the right medication mix, um, you'll see vast improvements in their blood sugars and their weight has never changed. So it's it's just sad that that is the thing that's recommended. And I think it's it's we're trying to treat a symptom, not an actually yes. the actual problem.
0: Absolutely. But we recommend weight loss. So can we talk a little bit about type 1, type 2? Because they are two different beasts. Um, and based on who's listening to this, it's mostly going to be type 2 people. But type 1 is also in existence and can still work into what we're going to talk about today. Correct?
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what we spent time describing mostly was type 2 diabetes, um, which is sort of comes on gradually. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease, um, and in which the body attacks the pancreas at some point, destroys all the beta cells and, um, the beta cells are what produce insulin. And so somebody with type one diabetes now becomes, uh, dependent on uh, exogenous, uh, insulin. So getting insulin, you know, from outside of their body. Um, and so that's sort of the big difference is that in type 2 diabetes, you might not start out insulin dependent. Your body probably still makes some insulin. And over time, it can make less and less insulin um, as the pancreas sort of may become less effective. Um, that could be a result. But um, essentially, it's it's quite different in terms of, of I think, the treatment. Um, but ultimately, um, I mean, the great thing for type 1 diabetes diabetes is that there are so many great treatments now and insulin pumps and, you know, that allow people with type 1 diabetes to be pretty flexible in their eating. And I'm just thinking how ironic that is because now with type 2 diabetes, we're being so rigid with, you know, our recommendations for what people can eat and what they're allowed to eat. And I'm thinking, wow, can't we just do what we've done for people with type 1 diabetes, um, for type 2 diabetes? Um, and, and actually, I think that we can, in terms of using an intuitive eating and health at every size approach, that we can incorporate that of flexibility in. It's just nobody's talking about it.
0: But it's very interesting that the same condition, two variable underneath, one is associated with shame and guilt, and the other one is like, totally okay. Like, it's just something you have and you move on with your life. But type two is automatically drawn to shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, Okay. So are you ready to get into the myths? Sure. Yeah. Let's start with that. The biggest one. Can someone with diabetes eat intuitively? I
2: mean, I would say unequivocally, yes. Yes. Yeah. I think that it really matters that you find the right people to support you. And it should be people who are trained as intuitive eating counselors and Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, the co-creators of intuitive eating offer that for helping professionals, um, a certification and because you really need someone who truly understands intuitive eating and, um, You know, at least from the standpoint of the support that you're getting that's around your relationship to food, it should also be a registered dietitian who's trained in medical nutrition therapy who is comfortable working with people with type 2 diabetes. Um, what one of the things I want to acknowledge about it is that someone who starts out in healing their relationship to food. And an intuitive eating approach. If you, if you don't have diabetes, you actually have more privilege over a person who does have diabetes, right? And so, because you're going through intuitive eating and it could be like, woo you know, all the donuts, right? I'm eating intuitively, you know, and that is very healing, right? Because it used to be never donuts, never donuts, never donuts. So to be able to be like, donut for breakfast, no reason, just living my best life. You know, somebody who has a diabetes diagnosis and is trying to eat intuitively sees that and wants that, but is afraid of that donut because of recent information, they've likely gotten a silly handout and cut carbs or you're right. You mentioned keto. Um, I've heard medical, I spoke at a diabetes conference this year and not only, um, I spoke about health at every size for diabetes, but preceding me was a physician who spoke about keto and a physician who spoke about intermittent fasting. And they were both proponents of their, of the approaches. It was like anything around lifestyle change, but they also both acknowledged that the studies that follow people two years out saw no significant differences in the progression of diabetes than those who did not follow their plans. So if you have diabetes and if it is chronic and you are going to have it forever, right? Why not work on an approach that's going to last beyond the two years out? And there's a lot of harm to people to even consider trying things like keto with intermittent fasting, one or the other. If there was a history of an eating disorder, especially, but even a history of disordered eating, which basically is chronic dieting. Um, so if you tried more than one or two diets in your life, you've had disordered eating in your life. And it's acknowledging all of that because it's not necessarily true that, when you're thinking about your health concerns with now how your body handles sugar right it's not necessarily true that somebody who else is eating intuitively who doesn't have diabetes and just body does not respond right to excessive sugar intake at a certain time or excessive carbs at a certain time right it's that there 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 could be a difference you might not be able to eat the same way somebody else is eating and in that case there's a lot of sadness And there's a lot of loss. And I think there's a lot of feeling of, well, what's wrong with me? Or this isn't fair. How come this intuitive eater gets to eat this way? And that's a whole reason why to seek out support from people who understand, you know, both intuitive eating and what that means and the diabetes. Because the truth is you always have body autonomy and you can make calm and peaceful choices about what you eat, when you eat it, how you eat it, why you eat it. There's beautiful opportunities to make intuitive choices while you hold space for concerns about getting information about how your body handles certain foods. Um And I know Glennis, you have a lot to say on this matter, too. so I'd love to get your insights, too about meal mixes and relationship to food stuff,
1: right. Yeah. I mean, I think that I agree. i I think intuitive eating absolutely. Can work for somebody with prediabetes or diabetes. And I've seen it in my own practice where even just improving the relationship to food where somebody's eating much more, I mean, I see a lot of people that come in and they like, I'm an emotional eater. I'm a, I am an overeater. I have binge eating disorder. And they think that they're, that is their problem, that they are overeaters. And usually what I find is that they're undereaters. <laughs> um, that's, that's sort of the classic symptom of everybody and that they're undereating through the day and then overeating at night. So once we start to find balance and, um, you know, giving meals throughout the day and, um, you know, immediately I'll see a change in blood sugars usually. Um, and, you know, intuitive eating, I think there's this sort of misconception that it's eating whatever you want all the time, anytime. And I mean, I think there's a part of it that that is there, but also you can do it in a way that sort of respects what's going on with somebody's body. So like Rebecca just mentioned, meal mixes, we talk, we talk a lot about that in our groups that we've run. Um, You know, instead of restricting foods and taking them out, what we're talking about is adding foods in so that you sort of mitigate an insulin response. So we're just talking about, well, do you have enough protein in that meal? You know, could you add some fiber by way of vegetables or fruit or some kind of high fiber food? But also, hey, is that donut there? you know, that, that Mm -hmm. can be in there. And so we're just doing it maybe in a slightly different way. Um, Although I will say that I've also worked with clients with diabetes where it's like, you know what, maybe you just need to see how it goes with having that ice cream at the end of the day. And, you know, can you use your blood sugars, you know, as a, as a body cue? And so we're introducing blood sugars as a new body cue. And so with intuitive eating, we're looking at hunger and fullness and preferences and satisfaction. And with diabetes, we can use blood sugar as another body cue. And you don't feel it necessarily, but you see it and you can respond to it that way. And sort of just seeing those numbers as information rather than judgment, I think it brings in just a a bit more ease. And, and so intuitive eating might just look a little bit different in terms of, of, of that, but we're still doing the same thing, which is, you know, finding out what hunger and fullness means for that person and honoring that. And really, you know, what are the foods that you love that you must have? And how do we include those in ways that, that work for your body?
0: And I think it's support the whole concept behind intuitive eating, which is interoception awareness, which okay. is that ability to feel our body. And when we start connecting our blood sugar to certain food, we also start connecting the sensation in our body, like the fogginess of our mind or dizziness, right? It, it just works into the concept of intuitive eating to that next level. I think that's, yeah. that's a beautiful way of looking at it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, And, and one, one other quick client example that I could think of is, um, you know, like for example, they're finding out that their morning blood sugars are running high. Right. And so we're talking about breakfast. And so we talk about what, you know, they're typically doing for time, but other foods are interested in. And it's like a surprise where I'm like, how about some eggs with cheese and maybe some tomato and avocado? It's like, really? You know, cause again, in diet mind, there might be a calorie rule or something about that. And they try this and there's like, it was such a satisfying breakfast. And I enjoyed adding that in. And some days I had oatmeal with fruit and nuts. And some days I had this cheesy egg, you know, thing, and I'm finding breakfast to be more satisfying. And I'm finding that my morning blood sugars are, are more stabilized over time. And even later on throughout the day. So it's, it's almost like this. So, you know, talking about ways where your meal mix might be satisfying and like in that suggestion, it was definitely like a lower carb idea, right? But it wasn't replacing oatmeal and nuts, right? So a lower carb idea added in and over time that this particular client find it, found it pleasant, interesting, um, you know, empowering and freeing, which are all these things that are intuitive eating are supposed to do, but it's actually previous judgments about, calories or animal fat or whatever, that had them feeling apprehensive to doing something like that.
0: And it's also developing this autonomy that you talked about earlier, where your body reacts differently to x food, even Mm -hmm. though you both have diabetes, you react differently. And if you take the time to look into how your body reacts, you can develop your own food plate or food choices that will make you feel satisfied, as opposed to the plan.
2: (laughs) Yep, and in the end, and I know Glennis and I agree on this, um, but we would say, and if it's a love it food, who gives a crap how your blood sugars respond? Eat the flipping food, live your best life. There's a med for that. There's a you know, go take a fun walk after that. You know, you gotta live an enjoyable life. And if you're talking about a type of food that you enjoy and you're eating in a way that just makes you happy, then that that party that feels sad that there's a certain blood sugar response. That's just one response. We can live with that. Your you having a good life matters way more than one blood sugar reading.
0: And we can also look at the angle of when we are following a plan for diabetes and restricting carbohydrate, right? That trigger the restriction, the the behavior of restriction with overeating and binging. Yeah. Right. So, by allow by becoming an intuitive eater, you perhaps will end up eating less of the sugar or the carb without putting a restriction
1: yeah and and I don't know it definitely, I see people eating in a much more just balanced way that's meeting their body's needs versus that restrict binge response that it's like well you didn't meet your body's needs the first time when you restricted, and then you're not going to meet it later when you're binging. So just, you know, maybe you're spreading that same amount of food throughout the day. But overall, your body is able to handle it much easier.
0: Absolutely. Okay, myth number two, the only way to manage my diabetes is with food, because sugar caused diabetes.
2: Go ahead, Glennis.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so so sugar does not Cause diabetes. Otherwise, we would all have diabetes in the world because everybody eats sugar. Yeah, my seven-year-old uh, would
2: have diabetes for sure. Because yeah. favorite food is chocolate. Right.
1: Yeah. So earlier Rebecca talked about the genetic link. So obviously there's a strong genetic component. Um, and full disclosure, it's in my family. So, you know, I'm sort of looking at the future and wondering, well, you know, like my grandmother, will I be, you know, in my seventies and get diabetes? Um, we don't know. So, um, and looking at my grandmother who dieted her entire life still ended up with diabetes. Um, and she probably avoided sugar quite a bit. Um, so sugar alone cannot cause diabetes. Again, it's, it's, uh, it's highly genetic. Um, it's, you know, (sighs) You just can't sugar your way into diabetes, basically. Now, um, when we're looking at, you know, um, when you've developed diabetes um, and looking at symptoms and, and how your body's reacting, like we can say, okay, well, maybe... Maybe sugar, we need to eat this in a different way. And like we've talked earlier about, you know, putting it with different foods and that kind of thing. But again, even the American Diabetes Association doesn't say you have to stop eating sugar. Um, that That's sort of this outdated mode where it's like, oh, you have diabetes, you can't have sugar anymore. It's like, well, can you imagine your life without sugar? And most people can, you know, say, well, I don't think I would be very happy Um, and even when they try it, we see the result, which is sort of the overeating on it. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a simplified thing that I think, you know, I see those terrible scenes in TV shows or or movies are like, Oh, I just had like a huge dessert. I'm going to get diabetes.
0: You know, the whole, I'm going to get diabetes throws me over the edge all the time. It's not like we don't catch diabetes. Like, it's not like the cold you catch. (laughs) like we don't you know, get you
1: know, a, a big soda.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, big a big Slurpee or whatever. It's just not that's not how it works. Uh
2: um, yeah, and it well, contri- that contributes to the stigma too, right? Yes. You know. This idea that anything anything I do is either adding to my health or taking away from it. It's that's, you know, that's a really you know, chaotic way to think and live your life. And I feel like the way that I encourage clients to approach it is considering how you make sense of information, right? So it seems like, especially when we hear something from an authority, like a doctor and, you know, wearing the white coat and saying, well, this is what you need to do know that that's an external drive, okay? Somebody is sharing information that sounds credible and medical and you're already overwhelmed, but it's being put in from an external source. We pause and say, okay, my job is to stop and make sense of this information, stop and think about my values and my life and what's important to me and and health and self-care is part of that, right? And so that's like, so what's my internal interests? What are my internal curiosities? What are my internal motivations? Right? Because you could be in like a diabetes chat group and some person might talk about, oh, I made this modification or that modification. It helped with my blood sugars and I feel happier and better. And yet that is still one person's experience. And if that person say, I don't know, skipping bagels added to their life and they're happy, but your experience is like, I love bagels, you know. Then we do this like compare and despair kind of thing rather than look at that external source as this is the correct way. And because I'm not following it, there's something wrong with me. But more of like, what is my internal interest and curiosity? And if you are thinking about modifications with your meal mix and response to blood sugar levels and, you know, letting yourself be kind of open and curious and like experiment with something and be like, I don't have to do this forever. I just try this once and see, you know, that using that as an information, you're linking it back to your preferences and what you're learning to then make like the next positive self-care choice you want to around food, that is a very, very different approach and way of exploring things. than here's the list of do's and don'ts. um, You know, and because those do's and don'ts are going to say basically don't eat sugar or severely restrict your carbs.
0: Yeah. And when we take the bigger scale approach, I always like to say or give this analogy to people, there's entire civilization and culture that we're born and raised on fruits for an example if you look at the tropics like for thousands of years they've ate mostly fruit which is sugar so if sugar was to cause diabetes everybody there would have diabetes so sugar in itself is not a toxic element right it's something that is normal to the human body
1: Right. And I think of it in terms of, like, when you're thinking of, say, hypertension, like high blood pressure, you know, having too much salt in your diet doesn't necessarily cause high blood pressure. That, again, is, you know, possibly something you've inherited. It's your genetics. It's, you know. And, you know, maybe looking at your use of salt will help to improve the condition just from, you know, a comfort standpoint and just, you know, we're reducing the the blood volume without, you know, not putting too much salt in, but, but salt in itself doesn't cause high blood pressure. These, these things start from within us. Um, And that's, I think that's the, well, that's the stigma part, right? Like you somehow caused your own diabetes. And I think, especially since a lot of the time it can be linked to weight, that that's, you know, that's where it's, I I never see people blamed, thin people blamed for their own diseases or conditions. Um, it's often people in higher weight bodies that there's some, oh, you must have done something wrong to get this. And so just going back to that stigma piece that that is always there, I think that's why sugar gets caused or blamed for causing diabetes because, you know, we think that we can, look at somebody and diagnose how much sugar they're eating somehow. Um, And it's just, it's it's stigma.
0: And it's also a way for diet culture to co-opt the world of intuitive eating by blaming sugar and then creating a diet that will severely cut down sugar as a way of managing diabetes. And that's where I see keto really damages patients with type 2 diabetes because they have been drilled to eliminate all forms of sugar as the way of solving their problem with diabetes.
1: Yeah. And I've yet to meet the person that's been been on a keto diet more than six months, honestly. Yeah. So it's unsustainable.
2: Yeah, you could argue, you know, the unsustainability of keto and also what What about the questions about long-term keto and kidney function or long-term keto and gut microbiome, you know, um, you know, so it's not, it's kind of like whack-a-mole, you're playing whack-a-mole with this idea that, okay, you know, we're oversimplifying things, I think. And I think just looking at, you know, even when the, a well-intentioned doctor is saying, okay, hey, we got to be careful about sugar. You don't have to eliminate it, but we got to be really mindful about it. And, you know, and, and that's the three second spiel and boom, here's carbohydrate exchanges. That's not how a person changes their habits, their emotional feelings about food and eating patterns. And if the doctor doesn't know history, it, it is it at, at the least a waste of that, patient's time and very unhelpful, but it could actually be potentially really harmful. And so that's a whole other element where the, the entire context is missing. If physical and mental health are actually integrated, and we're looking at well being, it's not going to be an oversimplified thing. Here's the enemy Change this, you'll be fine.
0: So in that context, what else can someone do? Or Think about when diabetes is diagnosed, type 2 diabetes, what else can they do beyond food?
1: Um, you know, movement is one thing that you can do. Um, you know, look at the movement you're getting now. Do you want to increase it? What's enjoyable movement? Um you know, not for weight loss, just for, I mean, our bodies are meant to move. And that does help use up blood sugar. It helps increase insulin sensitivity. Um, so movement alone can be really helpful. In our program that, that we're launching soon, um, we look at a lot of different elements of self-care because it's, it's not just diet and exercise, right? That tired old thing that we hear. Um, how's your stress level? how's your social support? How's your sleep? You know, um, what do you need um, to help you sleep better and more social support and help your stress level? Uh, and how can you get that? And, and there's just, you know, so many components that, that feed into having a good, life, right? And, and we're looking at like diabetes is an inflammatory condition. So we also know that stress is inflammatory, right? And not getting enough sleep can be inflammatory. And so we're sort of adding, adding to that. And so you want to, you want to just think about all the things that you need to, to feel good in life. And it's not just, it's not just diet and also medication, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like, you can go on medication. And I know so many people are terrified to go on diabetes medications, but every year they come out with newer and better di- diabetes medications and you can, you know, doctors combine them. And so what I've seen with my clients is that one, one mix of diabetes medications didn't work for them. But when they switched to another one, all of a sudden magic, their blood sugars are like well controlled suddenly we're like, oh, you just didn't have the right medication um, and so I, I think we just want to spend some time, like destigmatizing medication. There is nothing wrong with being on medication for your blood sugars.
0: That's what you're talking about. There's a holistic, global approach to health instead of just weight loss and food and exercise. It's looking at the whole human being.
1: Right. And, and, you know, prescribing something like exercise, too, we want to look at, like, well, does the person live in a neighborhood with sidewalks? Is it safe for them to walk around? What do they need in order to support that, you know? And they might need to generate those ideas, but but just saying, well, you just need to go out and do X number of minutes and da-da-da. I don't think it's helpful, right? People need to find their own way. And we also just need to acknowledge that sometimes they need support in finding their own way. And we don't lend enough support. What do people need to, to make changes that, that they want.
0: And because we're not taking a one linear approach to it, movement can be so many different things, depending of where you live, who you are, and the capacity that you have, right? I want to touch yeah. on the mindset piece because we know that stress create cortisol and cr- cortisol affect our blood sugar. I think it's very interesting to look at how we approach diet, for diabetes, because it creates a lot of fear mongering, it creates a lot of stress, and that in itself can be a massive impact on your blood sugar. Are you seeing that with your clients?
2: Well, I think that a lot of clients that I have have stress for a variety of reasons. And so this is just one more drop in the bucket. Yes. Um, but there is our very first module is shame resilience for the diagnosis, because we honor and acknowledge that there is so much shame that just comes with You know, you know, even we've had people in our groups that were told they had pre-pre-diabetes and like several different groups. Um, Interestingly, it tend to come from the higher weight folks in the groups. We had we've had folks of all sizes. And, you know, so I this is just an opinion, my own bias that there is weight stigma going on in the medical office that's creating some doctors, they are not stuttering. They are literally saying, Oh, well, this is, you know, it's not pre-diabetes, but you're almost at pre-diabetes and pre-diabetes isn't even a real condition to work with. You know, it's, you know, it, your, your blood sugars might be running higher and, you know, but that doesn't mean that you're at the threshold yet of having diabetes. Um, and so, you know, while i can't say hey let me take your blood sugars now and i could say that that blood sugar is directly related to that stressful event there's definitely data that show that when you feel um overwhelmed by stress um that it's your your body is trying to respond to stress by releasing sugar into the blood to give you energy, you know, run from the lions and tigers. Um, and so when that is chronic, that is problematic, but also stress gets in the way of your sleep. And if you don't have good, calming sleeping patterns and you have more anxiety, you're likely to have difficulty with having the, having and using, um, the glucose and the sugars that you need to feel better. Um, if you're not sleeping well, it might be hard to get movement in that day because you're feeling tired. It might be hard to put efforts into that meal mix. And so seeing all those things as interconnected, it is, it's, it's like, we know that there's a direct role that stress plays. And we also know that when, when we're feeling stressed, other things, self positive self-care behaviors suffer and um so you know and it's i also want to acknowledge that sometimes it can feel like then they start to make a checklist of everything that they here's all what's wrong with me and here's everything that i have to fix right and so while we want to look at all these different things we also want to say your well being is the most important thing, and you don't have to do everything all at once. Is there one thing that you could think of that you think just sounds like something manageable that you could start with? And often, folks will dive into consistent sleep patterns because you know, having poor daytime energy and do some mindful breathing and meditation work and stuff that even without even addressing food right away or movement right away, like the top two go-tos that they actually find that they feel better, they're better emotionally regulated. And so it's easier for them to make positive self-care choices, you know, um, around, you know, those food and movement pieces that are just so hard to make when, when you're overwhelmed and exhausted and you feel so much shame for what, you know, for what you have.
0: That's the power of mindset, right? Everything we do start with what goes on in our mind, right? So if we get that in the proper space, we can then have behavior that are going to be conducive to us. And, and I also like the aspect of it's love versus fear, right? Making choices from a place of love instead of fear, which I think is big in the, in the circle of being diagnosed with a condition because we're always afraid of worse. Could happen, but if we shift that from a place of love, I think it can have tremendous power.
2: Yeah. And and even there's, you know, the fact that diabetes is common and is increasing has much more to say just about human evolution and genetics as a species, you know, than than what we're doing for breakfast Wednesday morning. <laughs> so and and to not feel alone and to find a community where where you feel like you can connect to others. I think is so important and powerful. It's one of the reasons why Glenis and I wanted to offer a space that focused on self-care for people with diabetes or diabetes concerns, because it was like, we were talking about what we were doing with clients and it's, here's all these people who need compassionate support and information. And what they're getting is the opposite of helpful. How do you bring a community together so people can find a sense of healing, not only in their own self-care, but the fact that they don't have to go this alone and they are definitely not alone.
0: A community is showing up more and more as a way of healing in, in multiple approach to health. And I think what you're offering in that community will have tremendous impact on people. I wanna move on before we run out of time. Um, one more thing about sugar, and it's the myth of, or perhaps the truth of moderation. Can I have or is it okay to have sugar in moderation when I have diabetes?
1: It's funny because I hear that term moderation and I just sort of like cringe inside because to me it's like that that's just another word for for restriction. Yes. Like um, you know, which is too bad because the concept of moderation is a lovely one, right? Like everything in moderation, including moderation. So, but, but when I, I think when it's applied to eating, what I find is it actually means something like an external, um, an external control on your eating. So, so I always like cringe a little bit when I hear moderation. Um, I would say, first of all, yes, you can eat sugar if that is your preference and you want to eat that when you have diabetes. I have many, um, private clients, my clinical clients, they nobody has given up sugar. Why? It tastes good. You know, we love it. It gives pleasure. Um, and, uh, it really comes down to experimenting with, with what works for your body. And that's, where the intuitive eating process is really useful because you're bringing in curiosity. Um, If you're somebody who checks your blood sugars, you can use that as sort of a feedback mechanism and not as a way to judge yourself, but as sort of just just information. Oh, that's how that acts in my body right now. What if I paired it with something else? Or like Rebecca said earlier, like sometimes you just have these foods where it's like, you know what? I know this makes my blood sugar go high. I'm going to have it today and enjoy it. It's one blood sugar reading, not a big deal. And so really it's about figuring out your owner's manual because everybody is really different. I ha- I've had patients say like, I can't eat potatoes. They send my blood sugar sky high. Pasta is no problem. Somebody else will say the exact opposite. Um and what I find is when people try not to eat sugar, it just becomes something they think about all the time. It's taking up a lot of space and then inevitably they eat it and they may even overeat on it because now they have that restriction fueling that desire for that food. Because we know when we restrict, it's not just physical restriction, like not enough calories. It's it's our brain makes something more delicious and, and more desirable. When we say to our, when our brain says we can't have it, it's like the first thing you want. And so really this is about being curious about what works for your body, right? And there might be some people who say, you know what? Nope. I decided to give up sugar. I don't eat it. It's not a big problem. Fine. I'm like, Hey, that is what's working for you. Do it. If somebody else says, Oh my gosh, I just love cookies. I can't live without cookies. Let's figure out how cookies can work for you. Right? So I guess maybe that is, moderation. But to me, moderation is some sort of external control versus you're finding out what works for you. And it's internally driven.
0: Yeah, it's based on, on the whole foundation of intuitive eating, which is connecting with your body and doing what's right for you based on how it feels in your body. All right. One more question and actually came from your uh, community that the email you sent me, Rebecca, what mm-hmm. happened if diabetes is left untreated?
2: Mm. That's a good one. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I get. I guess I'm assuming that maybe a person doesn't have access to a doctor, so doesn't mm-hmm. even have a diagnosis, or has a diagnosis, but for whatever reason, doesn't have you know the resources Oops. for medication, or you know, um, and you know, diabetes is progressive. So we we need to eat, and my assumption is untreated might mean that they're not able to take medicine. They're not able to measure how their blood sugars are going. Um, so your blood sugars can get really high and, um, you know, and I remember just from my dietetic internship days, right. And I happened to be, um, going into the hospital during doing my internship. And I had found out that there was, um, someone who's, you know, came into the emergency room. So the diabetes, the blood sugar levels were 400 and some plus. And, um, it, it is, um, you know, puts the body in like a, basically a shock state, you know, it needs to go and get their blood sugar stabilized again. So eventually something like that, um, could happen and emergency medical intervention is going to be needed. Um, so I, I really want to would encourage anyone, um, to try to find the best self-care way that you can approach, uh, high blood sugars or a diabetes diagnosis so that you are doing only the self-care behaviors that you want to do, but that you can work with your body and with your blood sugars, um, to just try to live and feel as good as possible. There's, um, you know, Glennis, I know you work clinically with diabetes, so you've seen a lot of the other n- bad side effects. Do you want to? <laughs> right.
1: So the the side effect I've seen frequently, because I also used to be a dialysis dietitian, um, mm. is is kidney failure. So that can happen sort of over long term. the The high blood sugars can sort of you know crystallize in those little tiny blood vessels in the kidneys and just kind of mess with them. They're very tiny. They're very delicate. Um, heart disease. Um, Microvascular complications, so you know, losing losing feeling and circulation in like fingertips, toes, amputation. So, but I hate to scare people. Yes. <laughs> with this Kind of thing, right? Like, I'm not trying to scare, and I don't like when doctors do this either. Like, yes. if you don't do this, you're gonna have kidney failure. Oh my. God, like that is the last thing anybody wants to hear because it, to me, that would just shut me down. Like, well, guess what? I'm just not going to think about it. And that's how I work. Like you've just terrified me. You know, I think my best course of action is to not think about this. So I think it's important for people to know what is happening. And I often find clinical patients who they're, they've been told they have diabetes and, um, Many of my my clinical patients um, have sort of uh, may have a low education um, and they don't really understand the words that have been used. And so I sit down and say, like, has anybody told you what this means? And they kind of look at me and they go, not really. And so what I try to do is explain it in like really simple terms. And this is why you want to control it. You know, you could do damage to organs someday. We want to keep your kidneys for as long as possible, but I don't want to terrify people and say. Like, and I've seen this happen, where doctors say, "If you don't get this under control, you're going to lose your kidneys." And it's like, what? That is so terrifying. Um, and I would also say, you know, just the long term complications of of um, diabetes. Are there, but also I've seen some very interesting short term, literally overnight, somebody developed like what was called snowflakes in their eyes from really high blood sugars. I think they did not know that they had diabetes. Why? This person was thin. Nobody bothered to look into it. Um, I have another gentleman who, you know, basically almost it seemed like almost overnight lost kidney function, ended up on dialysis. Why? I believe he was not diagnosed because he was thin. So um So I think it's, you know, if you know your family history, um, if you're suspicious at all, you can just get a simple hemoglobin A1c test done. Um, That's a lot of times how diagnosis is done now with the the A1c test. And I would say like, if your doctor recommends medication, you know what, give it a try, embrace it, right? Mm -hmm. And you can also say, and maybe I'll look at the self-care that I'm going to do. But we don't need to be terrified because I think that we have so many good medications. Um, There's so much you can do for yourself to help control blood sugars that we don't need to terrify ourselves with the long-term complications. We can just say, how can I best look after myself given what I have? Mm
2: -hmm. And and just one quick thing to add to that, I think in today's diet culture, some of these changes that you might consider, they're going to jog your memory. Like, Hey, is that a diet trick, you know, and I like to talk to people about something like that. Like literally the idea of being in the produce aisles like, oh, "Here's where I was at when I was on whole 30." And so it's this idea of that you also have the power to reframe things. No, it's against my values to diet in that way in which I was trying to take up less space. Right now, my focus is on enhancing my well-being. What is one vegetable here that I know I like the taste of? And that's all I need to get today. That's all I need to get today. And I could start this step of a meal mix. Um, and that is literally letting good enough be good enough because that, that will kind of constantly be the thing that you come up against is like what you feel like is full permission to eat with intuitive eating and flexibility with food. It feels incompatible with diabetes, like we talked about before, but also all your past experiences is it feels like you're hearing something now You know, even from what Glennis and I would focus on, right? We talked about being highly sensitive to will someone perceive, you know, a piece of advice, you know, um, to be, uh, you know, reminiscent of dying culture and therefore not good for me. And what we would want to empower an individual to do is say, you know, you have that choice to say right now, this is not the most important thing for me. We even flat out say, if you're still healing your relationship to food, focus on that first. And diabetes is second to any of that in our opinions.
0: So let's talk about resources. So you have a program that specifically is called health at every size care. So can you talk about that concept health at every size care, and also the program that you can help people with diabetes integrating uh, intuitive eating and body acceptance?
1: Um, yeah, so, so we originally called our groups that we, we started out with just sort of groups, um, for, four sessions in small groups and just talking about, you know, we would present some material. Um, we called that haze Care for Diabetes. Um, what we decided is we have so much information we want to give people and they needed more time than four weeks. So I think that, you know, it was great information and they really liked the, com- you know, the community that they found there, but uh, we have the sense like we really want to make this a bit bigger and a bit, um, you know, more comprehensive and then also still have the group component. And so we have, you know, 14 modules of self-care and some are longer and some are shorter. It's not, you know, hope, you know, it's some of the shorter ones, it's like, oh, great, I can just listen to this and look at the resource. And, you know, some of the longer ones are the more comprehensive ones that we were taking up a lot of time in group talking about and not leaving enough. So then we have the group component as well, uh, monthly group calls, um, and where people can really talk about this stuff, their concerns, you know, making goals and all of this is, you know, we were calling it self-care for diabetes. So we changed the name a little bit. It is still health at every size focused. We do not focus on weight loss at all. Um, we are sort of mindful eating based and intuitive eating based and, um, Yeah. And, and I'm pretty sure I've missed saying something about it. So Rebecca, fill, fill (laughs) in.
2: No, I think that was great. I think that, um, so, so it's a three month membership. And so the idea is, is you can watch these, uh, modules where Glenis and I are talking to each other. Um, and then the visual is more like notes, um, of, you know, that you can watch and, uh, follow along Play it as often as you like. We're very targeted with the resources that we offered that it helps to support what you're focusing on for that module. You can dip in and out so you don't have to go from 1 to 14. You could read the titles and summaries and choose. Um, And no matter when you join in, you can get in on that month's group Q&A call. We also have the recordings. So you could listen to past calls based on themes. Um, And it's really designed to be there with you and to help you. feel a sense of calm and peace and hope and confidence and optimism that, you know, you might not have asked for the diagnosis or, um, you know, to be exactly where you're at right now. And it's okay to feel um, frustrated and, and um, you know, even angry about, okay, well, why, you know, why me, why now? But we, we, the number one thing we want you to feel is less alone and less afraid about what to do next, because only you are going to take care of yourself and only you get to decide how you want that to go. And what we hope we've done is provided a evidence-based and trustworthy resource where anyone who wants compassionate and um, inspiring information and support, as well as connecting with others who were in a similar boat, um, that we've offered a space um, to help folks
0: heal. I think it's phenomenal. Um, and I will say, I will share that with you that many women in my community, in the community I hang out with are becoming aware of health at every size. But the number one struggle is finding practitioners that are health at every size, certified or approach, or I'm not sure what the certification process is, but health at every size focused practitioner, you're offering this solution online. Like this is phenomenal. This is what people need and want. So um, I'll put the link and all that information in the show note. But you also have a link people can use like quickly to get to if they're listening to this in their car.
2: Sure, it's h a e s c a r e dot com. So it's hazecare.com. And that's just a super short link that will help you get to all the information about the self care for diabetes program.
0: Yeah, and it can be anywhere. This podcast is broadcasted everywhere. So it's not only the US, right? It's anywhere in the world,
2: anywhere in the world.
0: (laughs) So while we're on to this, beyond let's say it's another condition that someone else and they're looking for health at every size approach focus practitioner, do you have a resource that perhaps I'm not aware of to find them?
1: Um I, I don't know if you've ever listed the ASDA the Association Association for Size Diversity and Health. Um they have a um a, like a, a search engine okay. for um health at every size providers. Um, I have a few resources. Unfortunately, there's not like one place mm-hmm. I feel like is one. If you're looking maybe for doctors who feel safer, um, that won't just be focused on weight loss. Um, there is a, a newish resource. It's called ample, um, it's the website is, is it ample.com? Um, it is, it is pretty fledgling and we're hoping it's an open source so people can sort of contribute, you know, their providers and they amplify who is sort of safe for people. It's basically um, Yelp for people in larger bodies. Oh. And then Hayes community.org is another place to look for providers um, who embody the health at every size principles. Um, I think those are the main ones. Oh, intuitiveeating.com. I think they're, yeah. So you can find an intuitive eating provider there as well. I think that's all that I know of.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Yeah,
2: we can send you the links to that. So if you want to pop them in the show notes.
0: I think that will be just the perfect resources for people in this whole episode here. I cannot thank you enough, ladies, for having spent that hour with us here and giving us the the basic, but also most importantly, resources for people to seek this environment of health without being associated with weight and all the diet culture. I think you're going to do phenomenal and help thousands and thousands of people. Oh, thank you
1: so much for having us on and, and helping us spread the word. And we are really hoping to do that and help a lot yeah. of people.
0: Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. There you have it. Was it mind blowing? It was mind blowing for me and I'm a health professional, but I think this piece of content that we created together is going to serve thousands and thousands of women. Now, as I promised at the beginning, here are some resources a kind of like steps that you need to make or take or choose to take because you're in your power if you are a person that's been diagnosed with diabetes or at risk of diabetes, number one is education. You got to educate yourself. You cannot put the responsibility of your health and your education about your health in the hand of someone else. You need to listen to what your team is saying. You also need to look at different perspective. And that's what we did today. We showed you a different perspective So here's a couple of resources for your education. Number one, Dr. Linda Bacon, the author of Health at Every Size book, has created a free handout, a PDF that is linked in the show notes. So stephaniedose.com slash 229 that you can download and read. The second resource or educational step you need to take is to read the complete book of Health at Every Size by Dr. Linda Bacon. Third step is to learn intuitive eating as a concept to approach your nutrition. And I would recommend that you learn this from a health professional like me, like Rebecca, like Glenis, not just an influencer, because yes, there is a knowledge that needs to be present with your teacher, your coach, with regards to the mechanism in the process of diabetes. So learn from a certified intuitive eating counselor, either by reading my mentor's book, Evelyn Triboli, or by doing a program like mine, the intuitive eating project. So, so you can get intuitive eating on board. And then the last step is to consider to take a specialty program course, the one that Rebecca and Glenis has put together that is specifically focused on diabetes and how to handle nutrition in the context of intuitive eating. So all of that stuff is in the show notes for you to download or access. If you've enjoyed this podcast, if you thought that this is like cool and full of resources for you, please leave us a review. It really, it's like like my fuel for doing this type of resources for you. So you can access your review on all your podcast app, specifically on iTunes. It's one click right there in the podcast thread. We have a great show coming up next week, podcast 230. It's going to be about the topic of I'm afraid of gaining weight. That is the number one thing. (laughs) The number one reason people object to taking the path of intuitive eating is their fear of weight gain. So I'm going to tackle that in a solo episode next week. In the meantime, sister, I love you and I look forward to hanging out with you next.